podcast. I'm your host, Amy Bolsh, a doctor and running coach with an interest in sports and exercise medicine. These podcast episodes are all about physical activity, exercise and health. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Jono Sumner from Life Jacket Skin Protection. Life Jacket produce high performance skin protection for men and the company is on a mission to stop the increase in male skin cancers and inspire men to take better care of their skin every day. Jono is here to chat with me about why their mission is so important and how skin protection can be optimised for everybody, but in particular, men who want to take life outside. Hi Jono, thanks so much for uh, joining me on this very hot morning to discuss, uh, I guess it's a good time to discuss looking after our skin in the sunny weather. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Amy. It's, it's fantastic. But as you said, yeah, it's, um, we certainly see a bit more interest in us and what we do when the, uh, when the sun's out and shining as it is now. So uh, you're right, it's, uh, it's good, good timing. And um, just for the, the benefit of our listeners, would you mind just explaining a little bit about who you are and just introducing Life Jacket as well? Yeah, of course. So my, my name's Jono. I'm one of the three co-founders of Life Jacket, which is a skin protection brand uh, that's been running for nearly a couple of years now in terms of in terms of trying to sell stuff, but many, many years before that in, in setup. Um, we have, uh, and obviously I can give a bit more of the backstory in due course, but we have a very simple mission, which is to try and halt male skin cancer. Uh, men are nearly twice as likely uh, as women to die from skin cancer. And there's no real biological reason for this difference. It's purely due to habit, behavior and attitude. So um, a big part of what we do, um, as well as the products that we offer, uh, which have all been engineered for men, is raise awareness. We work with uh, Melanoma UK, you know, the UK's leading charity focused on melanoma. Um, so raising awareness and also education. A lot of what we do is, um, is trying to get the information out there so that really people can understand the facts and make their own informed opinions about how best to protect themselves and when. Perfect. And that's definitely um, a mission that I support. I think all through medical school, I was absolutely determined that I'd be a dermatologist. Um, and I've since changed my course a little bit, but it's definitely something that's stuck with me that I have a bigger interest in skin protection. So a big fan of the brand. And thank you so much for taking your time out to, to uh, chat are, with me. They're a rare breed. There aren't that many dermatologists. I think there are only about 600, 650 in the UK. It's not a it's not a very, you know, you don't get millions and millions of dermatologists. It's quite a, quite a small field. Yeah, it's quite competitive as well. Right. Very hard for us to get into. Um, yeah, there we go. That'll be it then. <laughs> <laughs> that'll explain it. Um, so I guess just going back to the beginning, what made you want to focus on on this area? So obviously there's loads of cancers out there, loads of other different conditions. What was it specifically about skin cancer that perked your interest and wanted made, made you want to make a difference? Yeah, so uh, the you know again a, a bit of the, a bit of the backstory to to put it into context was um, you know myself. Uh, so the three of us as co-founders is myself, there's my best mate Billy. We've been uh, best friends from school, and my brother as well. Uh, so all of us sort of very much grew up together and, and good pals. And I think uh, you know, especially like a lot of guys, you go up in your twenties and your early thirties, you think you're invincible. You don't worry about tomorrow. You'll deal with that later. Uh, so all those very typical uh, traits that are very very common. And in our early 30s, um, four of our close friends were diagnosed with varying forms of cancer. Um, and these were all, you know, these were fit, healthy guys. They were sort of out of the blue. We, you know, we all know, unfortunately, cancer can be quite indiscriminate in many ways. Um, and it was just, it was slightly that, that wake up call and alarm bell uh, for it and, and taking our health 
I, I, you know, I don't see more seriously weren't negligent, but that slight element of investing in yourself and uh, and taking care so that you know, you're in you're in good fitness and health in years to come. And you know, my, personally as well, I, I sort of I guess a slight overlap is I was diagnosed with um, with uh, colon cancer or bowel cancer back in uh, I think when I was 34, so a few years ago, <laughs> and um, and yes, yeah, so that was a start point. So it, the, the the genesis or the beginning of it was actually that Billy, who again is my best mate, and he was sort of you know. I mean, it, it sounds a bit cliche, but it's true. He was sat with me during, you know, as I was recovering from surgery and during the chemo sessions and all this, that and the other. And he actually stumbled across this statistic that men are nearly twice as likely to die of skin cancer. It was just, he was reading about the very form of cancer that, you know, myself and a couple of the other guys had experienced. And, and what became apparent is, you know, is this huge discrepancy uh, when it came to men and women and the apparent uh fact that there is no biological reason for this difference really on the whole so um so that was the start of it and i think it was that it was that disparity um coupled with the fact that the three of us we love being active we love being outdoors we don't our message isn't about just stay indoors and avoid the sun at all costs we want people to have a happy and healthy relationship with the sun um but at the same time just take the few small steps that are needed to uh, to look after yourself in the long-term health so so there was that side of it and i guess the final the final piece in the puzzle was when we looked out there you know the sun care market is very much dominated if you go out there and you look on the shelves it's very much dominated by brands that are very much aimed at women so and you know that can be something as simple as the branding which of course is a big deal but it's a lot of women in bikinis and sun hats and, and beaches and what have you and the reality is, is is guys have a different checklist of things that matter to them and also yeah we, we've got more body hair we, we care for different things we don't like things perhaps that smell of guava and coconut that are the typical fragrances you get attached to these so all of these things came together um to give us the opportunity to do something um, you know, positive, something constructive that we cared about and that we thought we could make, a, you know, our own small dent in uh, an issue because, you know, the, some of the, uh, the key stats are uh, skin cancers have doubled in the last 20 years and they're forecast to nearly double again in the next 20. So this isn't something that's going away. Uh, this is something that unfortunately is, is certainly here uh, for the short to the medium term. So, yeah, so all of those things combined, Amy, just gave us, uh, gave us that motivation uh, to try and do something positive. Did any of you have a background in anything like this before? Because obviously it's actually it's actually quite a complicated thing to make, you know, sunscreen products that are going to be uh, palatable for men and, you know, create or create this brand that, that appeals to, to men to look after their skin health. Is that something that was completely new to you all? No. So uh, we definitely had uh, we definitely had some advantages on, on that front. Uh, um, Billy had very much a, um, you know, certainly came with a, a branding and a marketing background so that certainly helped in in, in one element um I, when i go down this route i'm always i always realize that i'm not sure what i quite bring personally but there we go I, i'm happy to, i'm happy to maybe the story i'm happy to come along for the ride um but actually my brother and uh, myself used to work together in our family business and we were involved in the distribution of speciality chemicals that went into personal care products so you know the way to think about it is um it, products are very much like cooking you want to make a final meal, you have a list of ingredients. Um, so that was very much our space. So the benefit of that is it gave us, uh, and so my brother is really a big part that he's the technical arm of this, uh, fantastic understanding and knowledge of it. Um, I guess to put sun care in uh, some element of, of scale perspective, sun, I always tell people that sun care um, is very much like the Michelin end of cooking. Um, it's probably the most, it's the most complex, it's the most difficult to do. There are quite rightly, there are a huge number of laws and rules and regulations that you have to abide by both for the UK and the EU and other territories as well. 
So, you know, it's, it is hugely technical, but fortunately we have both the personal background, I say we, my brother plus me have the very much the, uh, the background in that, plus some existing relationships and a knowledge of, you know, things that uh, sound a bit boring, but very important in, t- in terms of the supply chain, the manufacturers um, and the chemistry behind it. So we're bringing something a bit different to, uh, to help us bring this product to market. And what did you kind of discover in the process that, that men actually want? And how have you made a product that, that is more suitable towards men? What are the differences between the things that you can typically get on the shelf at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's we actually we, we did a survey. Uh, we carried out a survey of six thousand people actually in the end, uh, and it was a pretty fifty fifty split between uh, between men and women. Um, and who answered slightly different questions? You know, what that survey did is it confirmed a lot of suspicions we probably all had or expectations. In so much as it tends to be women that buy the sun protection on behalf of be it you know their dad, their brother, their partner, husband, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so a lot of the time that is the case. So. Um, you know, whilst we're very much aimed at men, this sounds off, but, you know, women are very much involved in our mission because it's a huge amount of the time it is the women leading this charge. Uh, and the other thing to just bear in mind is one of the reasons men are, are more susceptible to skin cancer is uh, women are a lot better at not only applying products and potions and lotions and creams and gels, they're also infinitely better at taking the right steps and seeking medical inputs and help when they notice something different. Men are absolutely shocking at that. We sort of put it off, hope it will go away. Um so all of the yeah, all of that sort of uh, stuff combines there. But what 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 came back to us uh, on the back of that survey was, um, you know, there's one element of which is the branding side. So guys like our, our products are branded for men, so those colours kind of appeal to them, which is one side. But nothing we do is ever to the detriment that our absolute priority is products that perform and deliver absolutely leading uh, leading performance, and we just don't want to deviate from that at all. So. The reality we found is 74% of men would sooner not use sun protection at all than use a product that is either greasy or fragranced. And that's massive. They would sooner not use anything at all. And uh, so, you know, so that was obviously a big start point for us. And the other reality of it is a, a big concern of guys is, is just that is we have body hair. We have arm, uh, you know, hair on our arms and our legs, on our chest, on our backs, wherever you want to call it. And so that, yeah, and that ties into the greasiness a bit. So what was important for us was to make a product that overcame these barriers and obstacles and hurdles. You know, we, there is no good reason, I'll absolutely go on record saying, so there's no good reason not to wear sun protection, even if you don't like the smell of it or even if you don't, whatever it is. But the reality is, is that's what puts guys off. So it's it's no point us saying, well, that's wrong. We've got to address that issue. So it, it's those typical things. It's, it is fragrance. It is greasiness. Um, men have a lower tolerance for products that they can feel on their skin typically than women. Um, uh, you know, whiteness as well in terms of products that leave a, a residue. But at the same time, some guys don't care about the, the visual and the aesthetic. They just want something that's maximum protection. So there's, there's certainly a split there. So those are all the things. It's very much kind of what you'd expect. But the survey that we had gave us, I guess, numbers that, well, even beyond what we anticipated in terms of men's objectives and uh, and preferences, I think that that surprised me the most about the uh, the fragrance stat because I guess I guess as a female, I I just never even think about what something smells like. So for seventy four percent of men to care that something is is fragrance really surprises me. Yeah, and just just to be clear on that stat, it's it's a mixture of those things. It's not seventy four percent in isolation. Uh, I don't misrepresent it, but yeah, fragrance is a big thing, you know. And I, I guess flipping it the other way around, I imagine women would be less inclined to use a product that had a more typically masculine fragrance to it. Yeah, uh, because that's you know not not what you, you'd be looking for in a product. So it's it's just all of these things. And you do you you look at the market and you understand. You think well, actually, men are, are personally not that well catered for. Uh, in, in terms of all the things that people look for in a product. 
Absolutely. And you kind of touched on a few of the stats already, but what have the what have been the most surprising things along this journey that you've that you've learned and I guess some of the reasons behind them because you said that it was about to double or was predicted to double um, in terms of skin cancer incidents. Uh, what are the reasons behind that and what have you kind of found out through all your research? Yeah, I mean the you know I, I can't um, I, I can't misre- misrepresent myself as knowing fully the, all the reasons behind the uh, the trend that we've seen. Certainly you would imagine that an increased um, the increased ability to travel, I appreciate that sounds daft in, in light of the last year and a half, but the increased ability to be out there, to be on a holiday, to be in warmer climates, uh, to, you know, a greater proportion of the year is certainly a part of it. I think from a male perspective, it's very much a fashion thing as well, you notice. And and, and this is this is a, um, you know, this is very much a cultural thing. We realise a massive, massive hurdle that we have to come over, or overcome, sorry, is this perception that a tan is a good thing. So, you know, one of the things that we can't shout loud enough is that there is absolutely no such thing as a healthy tan, full stop. There's no ambiguity about it. You know, I'm fake tan, fine, knock yourselves out. That's absolutely not a problem. But there's absolutely no such thing as a natural um, or a healthy tan caused by the sun. It's just nowhere. Your body, your body tans uh, by virtual. It's its way of telling you it's, it's alarm signal to let you know that it's under threat and being damaged. But then you realise, and we've all been guilty of it in the past. You look around, you think, you know, if someone goes away on holiday and they come back with a tan, say, oh, you look well, you look healthy, and it's just so ingrained in us as a, as a Western culture. It's actually quite the reverse, really. If you head out to, you know eastern side of the world in so much as darker skin is deemed uh, undesirable uh, and you know you sort of go very much the other way in so much as people are are, are very keen to to keep themselves clear of the sun uh, a sort of an example i give is we our perception from the west is that a, a tan is a healthy thing uh, and we think that's quite normal and yet if you were to tell someone that uh, in certain cultures that they actually use skin whitening products which is ultimately bleach that's all it is you're bleaching your skin our first reaction is, well, that is absolutely bonkers. And the ch- my challenge then would be, well, why is that any more bonkers than tanning? You're damaging your skin for a visual, for an aesthetic purpose. Um, so, sorry, a roundabout sort of slightly rambling way of getting back to your point. I think the um, this, the desirability of having a tan has certainly increased over the last 20, 30 years. Um, and, and so that's that's certainly that's certainly attributed to it. You know, the, the reality is people think a tan's a good thing and um, and it isn't. It's so difficult as well, isn't it? Because it's very, it's very tough to be the one person in the group that is not getting a tan. Um, and it is definitely a cultural shift that we need to try and encourage because otherwise um, it, can, it can be quite a challenge to be the only one covering up and, and slapping on the sunscreen all the time. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, to be, to be honest with you, I, personally, I, I don't actually, uh, never have actually, I'm not that fussed about getting tanned. I'm quite fair skin myself. It's never bothered me. But I do like being out on a beach, right? Or I do like have, I do like the sun on my back and I do like that feeling of, of being out, out and about in the fresh air. So um, so all of that stuff is, uh, I absolutely get it for, for different reasons. But that's the reality is we've got to change. I think what is in our favour, I would say, with our mission is that in recent years, uh, a couple of things have, have happened that have helped. One of them is that male grooming the, you know, the popularity of male grooming has certainly come along, uh, which means men have an increasing happiness or willingness to to look after themselves, to apply moisturisers, creams, lotions, potions, whatever you want to call it. So that notion of applying something to your body is increasingly accepted by a younger, you know, by, by a younger demographic, which will obviously continue as, as they age, which is a good thing. I think the other thing that's really, uh, that's really helped and really important is it's become increasingly okay and it sounds ridiculous to say it, but to be seen to be taking your health seriously. 
Uh, I know it sounds dark, but you go back 10, uh, we were speaking to, we've done some work with uh, some mountaineers, you know, uh, British mountain guides as well. And these guys, and you know, going back sort of 20, 30, 40 years, you know, these are guys that are sort of, th- these guys got leather skin, you know, absolutely battered by the sun throughout the year all the time round. And, you know, the, the perception was if you apply, if you wore protection that you weren't up to this, like it was, it was a soft option. You shouldn't do it. Whereas now the notion of, look, I want to look, I want to be fit. I want to be healthy. All this stuff it is certainly on on the increase. I would say against uh, you know against with young men especially, and I think those things combine help. So I think we actually have. I think it's part of it where it's an, sometimes it is a message that is more easily adopted and absorbed by a younger demographic than it is a middle to old demographic for sure. That, that's certainly what we're noticing. But the flip side of that is you find um, as you get older, you and everyone does this rather belatedly. You start to take your health more seriously on all of those things where, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. It's, we very much think that it's brushing your teeth and so much as we all brush our teeth every day because we know in the long run that's going to help the health of our teeth. And it's just the same as skin protection. So, um, so yeah, you know, th- these things are happening. But, yeah, I, I guess long way around again, that's that sort of why are this, is this doubling happen? I think it's it, that increasing desire to have a tan, to be exposed to the sun uh, and an absence of viable products um, and uh, most notably and not realising the reality of what it is that that UV is doing to your skin all year round. It's a little bit of a, a random question. Do you know if there's any um, teaching in schools or if this is ever part of the um, health curriculum in schools? Because I feel like that is the prime age group where you want to start getting people involved and in just becoming part of your daily habit that you should be protecting your, your skin uh, from the sun. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the <laughs> apologies. It's my bad. I probably should. I don't know the, uh, the school curriculum uh, intimately, but we have done a couple of talks at a couple of schools online and stuff. And we're speaking to, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds trying to impress upon them. And by the way, I give these talks imagining myself in the classroom. I mean, 10% chance I'm listening. Uh, you know, I'm probably thinking about lunchtime. So, you know, and also when you're young, you don't care about this stuff. Right? And there's a part of me that enjoys that in as much as you should be young, you should enjoy all the benefits of it. So don't worry, it's, it's tricky to, to sort of get through and people to believe it at the same time. But, um, but yeah, it's there. But I, I think the other, the, uh, and always a very good comparison or benchmark is Australia, you know, the UV capital of the world. And culturally, kids grow up and applying, you know, sun protection or UV protection is just second nature. It's just what you do. So it is like brushing your teeth. So they had um, Slip, Stop, Slap was the campaign that's been running for many, many years, which was trying to raise people's awareness of the importance of applying uh, UV protection. And, yeah, so, again, I, whether or not that is that program runs through schools, I don't quite know. But culturally, from a very young age, you are that's just what you do, um, and, and that is the thing. So there's certainly a lot more we can do. I think it becomes a harder message when you're in a climate that is obviously belting weather today, but getting continuing to get that message through when you're in, November, December, January, February becomes slightly harder, but habits are a great thing. You can establish good habits, you're on to a winner. Um, and I, I think, I may be wrong, but I think the UK has actually overtaken Australia in terms of um, melanoma rates, or, or at least death rates from melanoma. At some point, we were actually kind of doing worse. And I think that's, again, because of our habits. We're maybe not checking our moles as much, and we're not actually putting sunscreen on as, as frequently as, as people in Australia. Yeah, you, you'll know this as a medical professional. It's that thing of it's not locking the gate after the horse has bolted, but the moment you get medical advice on something, whatever that thing is, is immediately on your radar. Yeah, it's fantastic, not only just through our work with Mel and Omi K. That, I mean, by the way, they're a fantastic team, uh, an amazing group, an amazing charity, doing incredible things uh, for, for all patients and families and friends of those dealing with melanoma. Um, but 
yeah, we all know what it's like. It's just the reality of reacting to something. But we, we speak to loads of people, people that deal with BCCs, you know, basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas and all this kind of stuff. And the moment it's on someone's radar, they take it a lot more seriously, of course. And what we'd love to do is we'd love to prevent the number of people that are, fine, are taking it seriously because of that discovery. Obviously, that's the big goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing I, I just wanted to kind of pick up on there is that we said most people start to take their health seriously when we get older, but obviously it's never too late to, to start looking after skin health. So ideally, we'd all be doing it from a young age, but even if you're kind of 40, 50, 60, it's never too late to start actually protecting yourself from the sun. No, it's, it's, it's you know, it's as I mentioned, earlier, it's never it's never ever too late to establish any good habits, right? And that, that, that's just beyond skin. So whether or not that is exercise or whether or not that's diet or whether or not that's, I don't know, learning to play music, all of this stuff, like good habits are good habits and uh, that you absolutely are never, you know, it's, it's never too late to establish it. So, um, you know, that's why we're, we're very much there for anyone that wants to engage uh, with us and, and give it a whirl. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on. We're, uh, we're big fans of it at any point, any Asian stage. Um, one thing I did want to talk about is um, UPF clothing. So not only do you um, make sunscreens, you also have some UPF clothing. So I recently um, got my boyfriend the UPF rash vest and hat that you have because we're in very sunny Cornwall this week, fortunately. And as a result of that purchase, I've been asked a lot of questions about UPF clothing and I thought maybe you'd be the best person to answer. So would you mind explaining the benefits of wearing UPF clothing and, and what UPF stands for and means? Absolutely. So um, UPF stands for ultraviolet protection factor, and that that deals with both UVA and UVB. I, I've got to be careful here not to go into my sort of presentation mode of, of this stuff. But for, very, very quickly, synopsis, you know, you, the U, it's UV rays, ultraviolet rays that we care about, and they are made of two types. One of them is UVA and one of them is UVB. UVB is what causes our skin to burn. Uh, so that's the clue B for burn. Think of it that way around. Um, and this UVB rays are most prevalent uh, when the sun's at its highest. So that's during summer and during the middle of the day. Uh, UVB rays only actually account for 5% of all UV rays that reaches. It's actually quite a small percentage, but they are slightly more energetic and powerful. UVA rays um, are slightly different. They do not cause, uh, exposure to UVA rays do not cause any immediate visible issues. So our body's usually very good at telling us when it's under attack, whether or not that's a sunburn or that's what bleeding is. It's our body's way of drawing attention to the fact that we're uh, there's damage there. UVA rays um, actually penetrate the skin much deeper. They have a slightly longer wavelength. But the dangerous part is we are unaware of UVA exposure. It accumulates over time. And it's UVA rays that contribute towards skin aging, towards wrinkling, um, which is all forms of skin damage. And equally, uh, it contributes to cancer, as does UVB. So UPF is a combination of those two. And it's um, whereas on a sun protection product, you'll have both an SPF value, which is sun protection factor, and then you will separately have a UVA rating. UPF combines those two elements. So it gives you an overall impression. So what it is, is, and again, apologies, this is a slightly roundabout way of answering, uh, of answering the question. Um, how, it, how it works and operates is even with, su even with sun protection that you apply, you can have two types. You can have chemical or physical. Chemical works by when you apply it to your skin, that certain, the UV filters within that product just sit just below the top layer of the, uh, of, of the skin. And as UV ray approaches it and it, get, it hits the skin, it absorbs these UV rays and converts it into harmless heat energy, which it then uh, dissipates. Uh, whereas um, 
what you can also get is a physical filter. So for anyone out there, might, might always think of the guys that play cricket and you see it with the white stripe on their nose or on their cheeks, you know, a very notable mineral product. And that works as a physical filter. So that sits on top of the skin. And as the sun approaches, it just reflects it and it bounces off. So UPF is the clothing equivalent of SPF and UVA combined. And it is a physical form of protection. So you imagine it just like a suit of arms. It sits on the top layer of your skin and it doesn't let uv rays through uh now the, the important thing it's all very understandable and very relatable is think of it very much like a sieve okay so the tighter the closer the weave of a sieve uh, we've all got sieves at home in our kitchen drawer somewhere the closer the weave the more that is presented uh, prevented from passing through so you can imagine that whereas if you have a very loose weave of course more and more is going to get through so when it comes to clothing i guess the one thing i would want to flag to people is it is possible to chemically treat clothing to make it UPF, uh, to mean that it offers UPF protection. That's absolutely fine. The catch of that is over time, the more you wear that garment, the more you wash it, that protection will diminish. So it is possible. So uh, take our clothing as example or other UPF clothing that's out there. I, I can't speak for every uh, other garment out there, but our clothing, we do not chemically treat it. The, the nature of the fibres and fabrics that we use, we use a particular technology, which is called tensile weave technology. Um, the, the natural weave of that fabric means it offers UPF 50 plus protection. We do not treat it, but that means you're safe in the knowledge that if you own that top for one, two, three, five, ten years, whatever that number is, because it's a natural UPF protection, it will keep offering offering that. So th that's that's what UPF is. It's very much like that sieve effect. Uh, again, to give you an idea, denim as an example fabric, not something we necessarily want to be wearing um, out and about on the beach, but it has a natural UPF of around about seventeen hundred. It's huge because denim is a hugely tight, compact weave. Nothing's getting through. Whereas if you take um, a cotton t-shirt, a typical cotton t-shirt, and I was guilty of this back in the day before life jacket a typical white cotton t-shirt is the equivalent of upf5 it's really not much so i would use put on a cotton t-shirt apply some protection to my arms but the reality is, is uv rays are still getting through it's still hitting my body there so um so that's that's the nature of, of what you personally i would actually personally prefer to wear upf protection than i would apply it so that's why the clothing suits me personally but it's whatever your preference is that's that's sort of why we offer that as part of our range it's a key part because i fully get some people would rather rather put on a t-shirt or wear a hat or put on a long sleeve top than they would apply product to the whole body. I think as well, if you are in situations, say at the beach, when you're kind of going in and out of water, sunscreen tends to become a bit of a nightmare. It's coming off. Whereas if you've got a UPF rash vest on or a long sleeve top or hat, for example, it's, it's not going to change. You can be out there for many hours and you're still going to be protected and not have to worry about reapplying um, in those areas. So I think that's why I quite like it. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more kind of a, a hassle-free way to go. And I think that, um, you know, one of the big challenges we find, one of the biggest risks is people being less protected than they think they are. That's also another really common risk. So aside from people not applying at all, which is, I would obviously say it's lunacy, but um, but it's people, and that, that will be not applying the right amount. That will not be, that will be not reapplying regularly enough. Uh, so all of these are risks, you know, technically for any product um, that's out there on the market, this isn't just us. The product you're using offers the protection it states if you use the right amount. And that is an industry industry standard five mil, which is a teaspoon per body part. We have seven body parts, two arms, two legs, front, back, and then head and neck. So commonly people don't apply enough. Um, the other thing is you alluded to there, Amy, is they're in and out of water, they're toweling down, and they think that they're going to have the same level of protection from a product that they're when they're in. So that all happens. Altitude is a big thing. Al you know, 
10% increase for every thousand meters you go up. That's why anything involving skiing, snow, snowboarding uh, is certainly a risk. So all of these factors uh, do come in and contribute. But um, you know, what we would say is we're quite anti, we're anti any claims products make that give people a full sense of security. So for example, our product has been tested and approved as water resistant, but we don't mention it because we don't want people to think that they're more protected than they are. And similarly, the other the other danger one at the moment is you're getting more and more products that come on that claim they offer all-day protection or that they are good for several hours. And I don't know, how does that product know what that person's doing in those hours and where they are and what altitude they're at and the UV level? Like, there's so many variables there. And I think the reality is, is everyone, everyone's looking for an excuse to use less or reapply less or do less. I totally get that. But that's why we don't make these kind of claims. So we're, we're always, we're big advocates of reapply regularly. It's not because we don't back our products. Our products offer the protection they do, and they're the same as everything else. But we're, we, we don't like those claims because it gives people the idea that I can apply something at 8 a.m. in the morning and at 6 p.m. at night, I don't have to reply all, reapply all day and I'm safe. And, and that might not be the case. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, I do use some of those all-day products because they, they're a bit kind of thicker, but I reapply them every two hours still because you know if we're in the in the heat we're usually sweating we're kind of changing our clothing we're you know everything we do it's going to start wearing off and yeah there's no point getting to the end of the day and realizing that it hasn't protected you as much as you were hoping yeah and and, and all for what for the sake of just reapplying it's it's not a big deal really um so yeah it's just uh, that's something we always ask people to be careful of it's just and it comes back to this education thing is be able to know okay well i'm you know I'm at this particular place in the world and the UV index is this, that, and the other. Um, and I've been sweat, like be able to, in a way, you know, and always there on the side of caution. If any of that, apply more. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's not a problem. I just wanted to pick up on something you mentioned earlier about habit forming. Is it a recommendation for your products that you do wear this uh, daily? And is that everywhere? Or do you just recommend wearing it on your face? And, or is it more kind of for the purpose of creating habit rather than actual protection that you need? It is absolutely um, about protection. So, and this comes back to my point, uh, my point earlier of the fact that UVA uh, rays, which we, I mentioned earlier, which account for ninety-five percent of the rays that are out there, um, they are equally present throughout the day, throughout the year. So, unlike UVB, which is stronger or more powerful or more energetic at those key moments, which is during summer and, as I said, during the middle of the day, UVA rays are as present at ten a.m. in January as they are at three p.m. in June, as they are at 6 p.m. any other time of the year so habit is you know good habits as we all know are worth establishing but our points but it's not that we say establish a habit and there's a period where it isn't necessary but hey keep up the habit it's always necessary um so and again i know there's a, you know that's a big challenge of our message is convincing someone that they need to protect themselves from uv rays in august and winter I, we totally get that but that's why we brought it there you know, that's why one of the products you know, uh, we have which is our our daily protection moisturizer, which we refer to as our hero product, um, that is one that is we try to combine uh, something that more and more guys are doing every day, which is moisturizing, and just say, well, look, if you're going to moisturize, why not moisturize plus have this added benefit of UV protection? And that's the other thing, again, is it stops aging. Like A lot of people want to stop aging and, and stop wrinkles. Well, this is a big part of it is that 85% of aging is caused by the sun. So the single best thing you can do for the health of your skin and for the, you know, to keep that skin, the skin looking fresher and younger for longer is use UV protection every single day. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, absolutely, let's establish good habits and let's get it done. But for us, it's, it's that message that UV is out and about every single minute of the day um, when, as long as the sun's out there. 
I, I think a lot of people don't quite realize that. So I think that's a that's a useful message to drive home. Um, on your website and kind of your social media, you have a lot of ambassadors that are athletes and you use the hashtag um, take life outside as well. So I was just wondering um, why it's important for you to focus on on that group specifically. I know you mentioned earlier, you don't, you don't want to get people to shy away from the sun. You want to encourage people to use the outdoors yeah. safely. Um, so I was just wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about that take life outside hashtag. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's one of these things whereby we, we spend quite a bit of time trying to come up with that a short, sharp, succinct message. You know, everyone knows Nike says, just do it. Um, I don't want to say we've done better than them, but I do feel we're onto a winner with it. Um, <laughs> maybe a bit of a stretch. But um, no, I, I think that was the thing. Our, our point of take life outside was you know, we recognize our ambassadors and the guys that we speak to. There are athletes in there, but there are similarly, there are, there are sort of weekend warriors. There are people that just like being out. You know, they like jumping on the bike. They like going for the trail runs. They like just the out and about. So we, we've sort of got a bit of a mix there. But it, part of it was to echo what we enjoy ourselves and what we enjoy, which is we love being outside. And we, we don't want the message to be one of, well, the best thing you can do is, is stay inside in a, in a cold, dark room all day. So that, that was a big part of it. And it is about encouraging that healthy relationship with it. You know, we love being active. I think, you know, it's it's increasingly, um, you know, we hear a lot. And we, we, look, we don't want to preach, but you hear a lot of, you know, the benefits, of course, of exercise, being outdoors and being active. But that can take many forms. That doesn't have to be extreme exercise. That can just be going for a stroll. That can be taking the dog for the walk. Um, that can be, you know, a whole range of things. So the point of Take Life Outside was that we know how much people enjoy being outside and look after yourself while you're doing it. So keep doing what you're doing, but just give your skin a, a bit of a fighting chance there. Um, the, the other part of the other reason for the ambassadors was shameless for me in so much as I wanted an excuse to speak to speak to guys guys that are professional athletes that was definitely a, a big driver of it because uh it's uh gets me going yeah but i think it's such a good uh area to target because these are the people that are outside day in day out um and often it's the same body parts that are exposed so i always think with cyclists like their forearms the, the big a buddy of mine who got skin cancer the the back of the neck you know he was um mm. Yeah, and he's a classic, classic example, unfortunately, of this. But, you know, he was a guy that he cycled to and from work every single day. And you can imagine the you know the position you assume when you're cycling. And notice a sort of, you know, a spot or a scab on the back of his neck. And, like, unfortunately, too many guys just ignored it, hoped it would go away, hoped it would, you know, sort of heal itself and, and do its thing. Um, and, you know, it didn't. But, you know, that you can imagine that repetitive position of something particular areas were exposed to it just a part of this is a, a bit of a random jumping but one of the big reasons one of the big contributors to this disparity in men and women when it unfortunately comes to skin cancer mortality is the is the time men leave it from re noticing something to getting medical advice seen and if i take my friend as an example you know he, he feels ridiculous about it now but i think he had it for 13 months and what you typically find is with men the time between it you know, some form of skin abnormality being visible. So whether or not that is, you know, you've got the ABCD of, uh, of moles change, you know, asymmetry, border, colour, diameter, if any of that stuff changes. But the, I think on average, it, from that moment, something being visible to it being treated, I think the average for men is something in the UK, something like 16 months. But 13 months of that is the time it takes the guy to take the next step and go and see his GP or, and, and or go and see a dermatologist. So that's a huge part. And any cancer, um, the sooner you can get it looked at and seen to and dealt with, the better. The longer you leave it, the worse it's going to get. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. But, yeah, cyclists, as you said, it's, uh, it's certain key positions. But it's anyone that just likes being outdoors and active um, in any form. 
Um, and those are the guys that tend to be the uh, anyone that's outdoors and active tends to be more at risk by definition because they tend to put themselves outside more. I think just going back to that, not not bringing it to medical attention sooner, it's it doesn't necessarily cause you any problems. I think that's one of the one of the risks with skin cancer. It's not causing you pain necessarily. It's not a huge disturbance. It's so easy to dismiss. But actually, the sooner you can get that checked, the sooner you can be either you know reassured yourself or get it sorted um, and treated. As you well know, Amy. As you well know, that's uh, that's the the medical reality of it. Yeah. Um, and finally, just to end, what would your kind of top bits of advice um, or tips for optimizing skin protection be for those people that enjoy being outdoors a lot? Yeah, well, before you said being outdoors a lot, my, my top tip would be use UV protection every single day without yeah. without a shadow of doubt. That's absolutely the other thing. And I think uh, for, the, for people that like being outdoors every day, and again, it's for anyone really, the key thing is find a product that you like. You're far more likely to use a product if you like it, as opposed to if you don't, or you find it a chore. So whatever form that takes, and we all have different preferences, and some of us don't mind products that are, you know, I say greasier or oilier. Some of us don't mind that. Some of us hate it. Uh, so find the key thing is find a product that you like, because in doing so, you are far more likely to use it again and again and again. And yeah, the other key thing would be don't underestimate the importance don't underestimate how protected you need to be especially if you're active because if you're sweating like you're saying if you're at altitude uh, depending on where you are in the world um you know all of these things have a have an impact and if if you know be stopped up and be ready to re- if any doubt be ready to reapply regularly yeah there's a saying that i see sometimes that goes around i think on social media that the the best sunscreen you can buy is one that you'll wear and I think that's uh, well, that's very true. No, and, yeah, genuinely, we find with us in, in so much as we, you know, we've got our range of products that we do. Um, and yeah, sometimes we, someone come back and say this product isn't quite for me, which we totally get. Like uh, everyone's going to have their own preferences. But the thing we always stress is, well, if it isn't ours, just make sure it's someone's. Whatever form that takes, just make sure you're getting something on your skin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much um, for your for your time and for sharing all of that uh, really useful information. Hopefully that changes somebody's skin habits uh, who's listening. Is there any final comments you wanted to add? No, no. Well, thank you very much for having me. It, you know, as always, it sounds a bit cliche, but, you know, if, that, if this encourages a couple of people just to take, a, you know, take that next step and take a bit more seriously, that's fantastic. What I would say um, as a small, non, uh, small plug, but is we put loads of journals and blogs on our websites um, because science and fact underpin everything we do. We, we, we no interest in marketing spiel or, or, or bullshit, for want of a better phrase. Um, so if anyone wants to learn a bit more about all things skin health and sun care related, UVA, UVB, our skin, what to do, when to do it, all of this stuff, just check out the journal section on our sites. Um, and yeah, you know, we've got loads of interesting stuff there. And if if you have any, if anyone has any questions at all, please just reach out to us on email through our website or on social. And we genuinely, we will, we make time, you know, we're, apply to everything ourselves as quickly as we can uh so please do ask questions perfect would you mind just um sharing where everyone should head just your website and your um instagram handle yeah i wanted you to say that not me so i, I wasn't sure of your uh, thing so we're at um we are at uh, lifejacketskinprotection.com is the website and our social handle is lifejacketskin so either one of those uh, check us out um if you want to say we've got, we've got loads of interesting uh, information for people that want to learn a bit more yeah, great. I've I've been reading some of the journals as well. They're very easy to read um, and digest. So it's it's nothing scary. It's it's really useful information that's that's easy for everyone to access. Fantastic. Great. Thanks so much. No, thank you very much for having me, Amy. Take care. 
I really hope that was an insightful conversation and inspire some thought about how we can better protect ourselves from the sun. As Jono said, you can find out more about Life Jacket by visiting lifejacketskinprotection.com or by searching Life Jacket Skin on Instagram. There's also lots of great resources and information provided by the Melanoma UK charity if you want to visit their website as well. If you want to hear more from me, then you can head to marathonmedic.com for running content and more podcast episodes, or you can find me on Instagram by searching Marathon Medic. Thanks so much for listening.